Today we're here with Rapid Fire Rachel. Rachel, how are you today? I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here. So you are the OG or one of the OG female gun influencers. How did you kind of get into this? What's your backstory, origin story, whatever you want to let the people know? Uh, oh, gosh. I don't even know where to start, but um, <laughs> sorry, I just got awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess uh, I guess it was kind of an accident, right? Like Instagram influencer stuff, uh, when it first started, I was very against having an Instagram. You have a Facebook. Why would you get an Instagram? Uh, don't know what to do with YouTube, but my dad used to make like homemade YouTube videos and take them to work for uh, for meetings. <laughs> And try to like outshoot Jerry Mitchell, but have a machine gun off screen kind of thing. Anyway, so like it's kind of, I kind of grew up around like the entertaining side of things and guns. Um, And when I did get on Instagram, I started posting like just my life and what we do. And um, we always do Mother's Day at the range. It's our uh, time honored family tradition. And um, my phone died overnight with notifications. Like, why are people interested in this? Doesn't everybody do this? Like, uh, I didn't know that it wasn't normal for people to not have guns in their lives the same way I did because we didn't post about it when we were growing up. It was just something that we did. And um, it's kind of turned into something way bigger than I ever thought it would be. Um, But very cool at the same time because my dad has, um, he's had his FFL, um, a, a small business for over 30 years. And Prior to me getting into this side of things, um, he was always just, you know, large customer business side, but he didn't know the people behind the scenes. So it's been a really cool journey with my dad, too, where I get to introduce him and he's kind of his own figure. Uh, Definitely, (laughs) definitely very recognizable. I feel like he's more well known than I am, really. (laughs) I think I've I've met your dad a handful of times. He's such a good good guy, cool guy to talk to. what made you go with the name Rapid Fire Rachel? Oh, my dad named me twice. So <laughs> named me Rachel when I was born. And then um, we were at Knob Creek. Uh, he took me. I skipped call my college classes that week and <laughs> went with him to Knob Creek. And we walk in. And he had told me about it. He had gone a few times when I was younger and, like, mentioned it. But we get there. And the firing had already started. So you hear the firing line set up start up and your heart starts beating to the sound of machine gun fire and it's just like an entire experience we get in we decided we wanted to try the jungle walk which was a little side competition and um, I actually ended up winning the sub the uh, jungle walk that first year and it's kind of tricky like you have to be good at actually controlling bursts everybody loves to do a mag dump right but with Specifically with the jungle walk, you have to be able to control bursts because there's 18, I think it's 18 targets that are hidden throughout the woods. And you have to walk through, find the targets, identify the targets, shoot the targets, but not spend too much ammo. Um, And they do have one area where you do have to do a full auto burst across on the other side of the stream. So just finding all the targets is half the challenge. And I think they said I was the only one that found all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. I ended up, um, after we left that weekend... Dad started calling me Rapid Fire Rachel, and we stopped at Dinosaur World, and I bought a um, T-Rex that's mounted over my fireplace now as my trophy <laughs> with the prize money. <laughs> that's amazing. So, did your did your dad always have machine guns when you were growing up, or is just kind of a new thing? Um, no, I don't. I don't know a time when he didn't have them. Um, I think he started buying. Um, if he was here, he could tell you the exact date. I think the story goes that he didn't start buying until after the ban 
Um, and I think my brother was here. So like 89. Um, and he was at the our gun club and heard machine gun fire off in the distance. And like any of us probably would, uh, proceeded to the sound of machine gun fire and met some guys that kind of explained how everything worked and was like, okay, well, I'm going to start doing this and started his collection. So, And it's a awesome collection. And it's never going to be complete. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many things. Well, that gives me a great follow-up because you've you've gotten to play with a lot of guns or or handle a lot of guns that a lot of people haven't had the chance to. Top five. <laughs> if These are hard. That's a hard. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to like pick guns that are your favorite, right? Because then it's like, what's the per- what's your favorite for this purpose or. What's your favorite of just this line or favorite American machine gun of World War II? Like, hard to pick, hard to pick just one. Um, I will always have a very special place in my heart for um, a, a Thompson. So, 28 um, Thompson, beautiful, the first machine gun I ever shot. Um, I will love it forever. I also really love the BAR and I really love the Bren. Um, those seem to be pitted against each other quite a bit, but. <laughs> They're both they're both great for different reasons. Love both of them. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to pick from. Okay, let me rephrase it this way: Is there? Do you have a list of guns that you haven't shot yet? Yes. What is what is on that list that like if you, if it's at a range day that's you're running over to go try it? Mm, okay, so I I would like to shoot a potato digger. I have never shot a grease gun, which just makes me sad because I've had <laughs> friends that have had them at range days um, and they offered to let me shoot them, but it just didn't work out timing wise for me to get to get back down there. Um, there's a lot more, though. I would like to shoot a show show, even though I hear they're garbage, but it's just like it's iconic. There's yeah. nothing else like it. it. If it's garbage, it's garbage for a reason. And it has a huge place in history. Um I want to shoot a friend, or at least be around somebody shooting a French 75, because I, <laughs> this is the world I grew up in, right? I did not know that a French 75 was uh, a drink until <laughs> I had friends at a party and they had a French 75 on the menu. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I, thought this was, I thought this was, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> anyway, I did have one of those. <laughs> it was, it was interesting. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, so obviously with machine guns comes a lot of machine gun shoots. Obviously you already mentioned the Knob Creek shoot that's no longer, um, happening. Um, what was the atmosphere outside of winning at that competition there, the atmosphere leaving? Were you like counting down the days until you got to go to the next one? Or can you like describe that aha moment? Okay, so the very first one I ever went to with my dad, on our way home, we booked our hotel for the second one, which was six months later. So Knob Creek was twice a year, every year. We went every year for 10 years, except one spring when it had flooded. So yeah, as soon as you leave, I mean, you're booking the hotel for the next one. Um, What's really cool is once you go a few times and you start seeing the vendors there, it kind of becomes like a family. So you see the same guys on the line. You see the same guys under the pole barn. You see the same guys running the jungle walk or the same guys running the subgun match. Um, It's just such a neat community. And obviously the gun community in general, it's big, but it's small. You always see the same people at things. Um, But there it's just like, it's, it was just special. I don't know. I did cry leaving at the finale. Um, it was just like, 
can't believe this is over and I might not see all of these guys in the same place again. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that ending, you guys kind of took over and did your own event. So I won't say we took over because nothing will be Knob Creek. Knob Creek is its own thing. Like it's its own beast. It's monumental, honestly. And as far as events go, there's nothing else that is like it. And I don't think there will ever be anything else that's exactly like it. But we did try to at least take the reins of that hole that was left by Knob Creek ending um, because that had been an event for 50 years. And some of these guys have been going twice a year every year for those 50 years. So last year, um, we did we did uh, throw our hat in the ring and we hosted an event, All-American Machine Gun Shoot in South Carolina. We had several of the vendors that you'd find under the pole barn at Knob Creek. Um, <clears throat> we also had several of the guys that you'd find on that main firing line. So it was kind of like getting all the crew back together. Um, Definitely learned a lot in the planning side of it. It was a huge learning curve, but really overall, like I think it ended really well for a first event, but like I said, learned so much. And then different from Knob Creek. So at um, at the creek, you basically were spectating. Um, if you weren't on that main firing line and it was very hard to get a spot on that unless somebody were to pass or just not come anymore, which no, people people have <laughs> yeah. those spots pretty close to their uh, pretty close to their chest. So if you weren't doing that, there was a rental range or subgun match or jungle walk. That was kind of your options for shooting at All American. Um, we were able to bring some vendors in because we had extra range space. So we had folks out there like uh, Barrett was set up shooting uh, 500 yards at a car. Uh, for people to try, LMT Defense was out there. Um, they were actually demo demoing a new suppressor. Um, I'm trying to think. Rugged Suppressors was out there because it was actually local to them, so it worked out really well. Glock was out there. They were a crowd favorite for specifically people with kids. Um, Doug was the one running Glock, and he people were praising him for how well he did with their kids, teaching them. So it was just really, really cool. We had a lot of other—we um, had somebody on every range space. That's including awesome. a local team that was out there running a kids competition. So it was really cool just to kind of see all of it come together, but give more for people to do other than just watch. That's amazing. Um, I will never forget the first time that I went to a machine gun shoot. Uh, the first one I went to was the big Sandy shoot in um, Arizona. And outside of the minor concern for how far <laughs> out in the desert it really was and our rental car getting downgraded because our flight was delayed. So we were taking this little bitty uh, Nissan Altima. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it, guys. <laughs> um, so it was uh, a little bit scary getting there. But once we got there, it was one of the most welcoming experiences I think I've ever had at a range event. We were setting up our tennis GOA. Um, and there's so, one of the things that I love about the machine gun shoots is they are so purpose driven for community engagement. And um, at the big Sandy shoot, like they even have, uh, I forget, I think it's the 4-H out there. That's like flipping hamburgers for everybody. Oh, and so like, cool. <laughs> um, it's just, it was such a cool event. I got to shoot some stuff that I, I had never shot before, which was great. And um, just in the, the rental booth. But um, it was one of those, like, everyone should do this at least once. I think you need to. 
I think you, I think there, well, I know there were so many people that counted on Knob Creek never going anywhere. And so when it can't, like when they said, Hey, this is the finale. First of all, it was packed. Like, I think they said over 20,000 people. Um, it was insanity. Yeah. We slept in the car the next morning so that we could make sure we made our match time for the subgun match. Um, but also on a different note, I just love hearing that GOA would be at an event like this because there's a lot of two A pro two A things that wouldn't touch machine guns. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're we're no compromise for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Like um, it is, it is so a part of our culture. Um, actually, we had um, several people on staff attend the the last Knob Creek. Obviously, there was no vendor space. Oh no, uh, <laughs> to be at. There was no space um, for spectators either. Yeah. <laughs> it was packed. But several several people went. Um, we have. I know the West Virginia machine gun shoot. I forget the name of that one. There's Lost one in, River, I think. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Pennsylvania as well. And we often have teams of people um, that attend these shoots because they're, they're vital to keeping. Um, it, it's vital to keeping the community together, but also for so many people who own or wish to own a machine gun. Everyone kind of looks at you crazy, right? But it's a vital community that's worth protecting and it's worth advocating for because, and I don't know how to phrase this. Um, well, it wasn't, you know, too long ago where machine guns were right next to regular guns. I mean, it's been what, for since 86? 86. Yeah. So like, it's in our... There's a lot of, there's a generation that lived through having machine guns, like right next to regular guns in the store. It was like a couple hundred dollars more, you know, you pay your $200 fee to the government to own something that you should have already. But the, it's a dying part of, the, uh, of our, our Second Amendment because the price of entry for a machine gun, it's just so high. Oh, yeah. It's skyrocketed just since I've kind of been introduced to it, which is wild because it's. I've really only started paying attention, I would say, since I. Uh, since 2012 would be. I think I was 20 years old, 2012, 19 years old. Um, that's when I started kind of getting more engaged, like with what my dad's hobbies were, which heavily in guns, machine guns specifically. And uh, that's when I started, like, kind of, like, keeping note of prices or little things here and there. And, yeah, even just since then, things have skyrocketed. And I think that this is a, a point to to bring out. It's less than, than 40 years since that's gone into effect. Um, and there are many people in our community that, that very much remember it were a little on the the younger side that didn't grow up with those being readily available. But this is why when we talk about what government infringement does, when we talk about what um, the culture does when it comes to the Second Amendment, it is the whole frog in the boiling water scenario. You start accepting the amount of tyranny that you're comfortable with. You're fine with the status quo. You you get into a place where you're like, well, it's not that bad. Like we only lost this and that was so long ago. And so it 
it kind of, when you, I'm going to rephrase that. When you get to a place where you're understanding that this is something that is your constitutionally protected right and you should have those rights restored, it catches people off guard, especially at the um, the governmental level on, you know, why do we want to see the NFA repealed? Why are we talking about the 86 Gun Control Act? Why do we want the restorations of our rights? Because after all, it's the status quo. And shouldn't we just accept this as as fact and, and as permanence? Because that's what they want. They don't want us to educate ourselves, to go to events, to understand that gun safety is the same regardless of what what it is. It doesn't matter if it's uh, a machine gun or a rifle or a handgun. Like you're not just going out and and committing crimes or using that gun unsafely. Like the rules still apply. Well, we see it now. Um, you know, criminals are going to get what they want. And we're seeing it in specifically areas where crime is high that a lot of these guys have these Glock switches. I knew you were going to say Glock switch. Right. <laughs> I was already thinking it if you weren't going to bring well, it up. <laughs> right. And you see it on, I mean, I've gone through, <laughs> I was on YouTube last night and the amount of reels or shorts uh, or real, yeah, shorts on YouTube with guys just dumping Glock, auto, full auto Glocks into dirt and into the air. and Probably both. Yeah. At the start at the dirt and in the air. Yeah. yeah. It's just mind blowing to go, okay, well, there's all these law abiding citizens like us who want to own machine guns because they're dope. And there's criminals who are buying these from Wish and all these other online retailers are they're doing things illegally, but and they're posting and bragging about it, but nothing's happening. So why do we need more gun control if we can't control or can't go after these the people who are already breaking the laws? And then going, okay, because they're breaking the law, the criminals are gonna get what they want when they want. It doesn't matter. Well, and the crazy thing about the Glock switches, too, because I know that was brought up um, recently. I, I feel like it was recently I saw something in the news mentioning Glock switches and how they're in the streets and changing things for people. But let's be honest, like, have we all shot in a Glock 18 before? Mm-hmm. I actually haven't. Really? That's one Any thing kind I of have... full auto pistol? No. Okay. Have, that's well. the one thing that's on my list. I haven't. That's the one thing I haven't shot. I just shot a a full auto P90 like a week ago. Okay. I was like super happy. I actually haven't shot a full auto P90. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, anyway, but they are not easy to control. Like you give a a Glock Glock with a Glock switch to your random person on the street. They are not going to hit a daggum thing. They're going to hit everything except what they're trying to. Like they're not, it's not helping them be criminals. They're more likely to shoot themselves probably in the head when it flips around. But I I don't know. It's just really frustrating. Well, I mean, you, your dad, and you have gone through the process of legally obtaining these these machine guns for your collection. And to go, you bought, you probably, not knowing, there's probably a Glock switch at in your collection that you paid X amount of dollars for 
when they because you had to find a legal one that was 86 compliant and everything and these guys are just buying them and just doing ridiculous things with them and bragging about it and i'm like really like so it, we don't personally have one um but i have shot one yeah. but it is it's extremely frustrating to see like no matter what criminals figure out how to get what they want somehow um there's such a big hole but every time legislation comes down it's only affecting the law abiding and I think that's the key key point, right? And if we look at what the government has been doing, whether it is um, pistol braces or claiming that a bump stock is a machine gun and all of the crazy things that have happened um, in recent history, what you find is that the government can't vilify law-abiding citizens. It's very hard because what are we doing with our firearms? We're defending ourselves. We're defending our families. We're stopping crime. We are uh, sometimes not even doing that. We're just owning firearms. I mean, how many people actually are having to use their their firearms defensively? Thank God it's not all of us all of the time. And But what they're doing now is they're vilifying the firearms and then by vilifying the firearms, they're now in turn trying to make you and I and, and whoever else a felon so that they can target you because now you are the enemy. And it's easier when you say, oh, well, someone's a felon for for people to naturally go, oh, well, if they're a felon, obviously, like we don't want them to have their their rights. And so what they say truly matters and it's why things like our bump stock case that unfortunately ours isn't going to the supreme court although we did win at the lower level it was a split decision the supreme court didn't choose to carry ours to the supreme court there is another bump stock case that is going to the supreme court that we're watching very closely and are very excited about and then um on the flip side we have the preliminary injunction for GOA members and the residents of their household where you're not a felon um, until the courts make a, a final decision. And those kind of things are so valuable because the attack is on the individual, but they're vilifying the firearm that up until five seconds ago was legal. Well, <clears throat> I like choke over here. Uh, let's talk about not only that, but they're going after the FRT triggers. And they're going to people's houses and they're going, oh, because you were on a list of people who bought an FRT trigger. You now have to give that up. We've all shot probably an FRT trigger and an M4. They're not the same. They're definitely not the same. There's they're not, not the, the same. same rate of fire. Like, Well, they don't function the same either. Right. Yeah. It's force reset for a reason instead of full auto. But... And they, they just make things up as they go along, you know, ATF changes. Well, it's fun them. to redefine things, so. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's one of the craziest things because, just going back to the bump stocks for a, a brief second, bump firing was not made illegal. A piece of plastic was made illegal. You can still bump fire with your belt loop. If you wanted to... I, don't know why you do because I can't afford that ammo, but like more power to you <laughs> if you can. But um, but I mean, it's it's the reality, right? Like 
they are vilifying things for the sake of vilifying them. And um, the more that we can educate ourselves and the more that we can talk about this, the more that we're less likely to accept that level of government overreach. Yeah. Well, let's shift focus real quick because we went down a deep rabbit hole on all this, which is dope. And Kaylee got to <laughs> got to stand on her soapbox. So at least once an episode. Once an episode. <laughs> um, it's a problem. <laughs> so you are about to be a mother. Oh, this is a big shift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... I'm just diving right into it. Um, <laughs> force reset. Force reset. Hey. Okay. So. Talk about resetting the conversation. Yeah, reset the conversation. <laughs> is, all it, the way is this a machine gun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're a soon-to-be mother. You would, and uh, have told people. Yes. Um, what? How does that change for you? What is your, you know, your has that changed your mindset? Has that changed anything going into your your personal protection, your uh, your plans at the house, things like that? So I am already somebody that carries a gun and pretty religiously, like I will figure out how to carry a gun. I, wherever I'm going or, you know, you, you look at your circumstances, you look at where you're going you look at what you need to bring. I don't have one single gun that I say has to be the one. Cause if I can't fit it in my outfit, I'm going to find something smaller that I can fit in the outfit. Um, so that, as far as carrying a gun, I, I went down a rabbit hole of looking for, you know, just information on women caring while pregnant. And there's really not a lot out there, right? Not a lot of like people sharing that. And I feel like it's maybe because it's considered taboo. Um, Even I've had tons of people ask me like, are you still shooting? Are you still doing this and that? And there, there are some things that have changed just for, you know, trying to keep myself and my baby healthy. Um, But I am still shooting. I am not trying to figure out where to begin on things that have changed. So I am still carrying a gun. Um, I will continue to carry a gun because if anything, I feel like I'm actually maybe a little more vulnerable now. I can't run as fast as I could. <laughs> yeah. The back, the back uh, tenses up a little bit now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I will continue to carry a gun throughout my entire pregnancy because I have something extra to protect now. Um, and that wouldn't have changed, you know, if I wasn't pregnant, I'd still be carrying my gun. But um, outside of that, like I am continuing to shoot. Uh, the only things that have really changed there are I'm getting to the point where I need to consider sound. Um, I'm sick. I'm officially six months and um, I I now wear gloves. I should have probably been doing this prior, but um, I typically have Otis uh, lead removing wipes that I use now uh, just to make sure I don't get any extra lead ingested in any way um and then other than that like I will probably shoot a little more suppressed here in the next coming weeks before I you know tamper off a little bit taper off a little bit (laughs) and Kaylee as a mother yourself yes and as somebody who had to go through this do you have any advice that you can pass along or I'm like, here for it. Recommend. I'm trying, I'm trying uh, to share, like, yeah. wisdom. Um, wisdom. <laughs> Listen, um, I I completely agree. You know, I carried uh, a firearm with me to protect myself. Um, I was pregnant with twins, so my capacity to carry on my person um, went away very fast. I'm a very small person. I'm five You are. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine you with twins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, not the prettiest pregnant 
lady um, that you've ever seen because it was just. I'm sure you were beautiful. Uh, well, thank you. But um, no, I was miserable and it showed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all of that aside, like for me, I switched to a crossbody bag because there was literally no space. Um, and it got to, to the end where it was like, I'm wearing dresses because like even maternity pants don't fit. So we're but you know what? Done. That might be the best option. In some yeah. in some regards, and they're really good. I I typically in a perfect world, you know, on body carry is the way I'd like to do it. Yeah. But depending on what you're wearing, if your option is crossbody purse or something of that nature, like don't let that just oh, make you decide not to carry anymore. Just pick something smart that has a wire in it that can't be cut. Like look at those kinds of things. But yeah, no, a hundred percent. And um, you know, I feel very strongly that you should be able to protect yourself and um and then when the time comes protect your children if necessary and I think that's that's great um but yeah it was it was wild um because I had twins I didn't shoot um almost I don't know I don't think I I shot past like three months um just because I was so sick mine was was the opposite (laughs) right I was so sick Pretty much from the time I found out I was pregnant until I think 17 or 18 weeks, I was sick most all day, every day. So uh, there was maybe three times I went to the range in that time span, but it was also summer. So it's like, if I go outside, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so hot. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just knowing your body and what you you can and can't do um, and what's right for you and, and, you know, obviously... It's one of those things where I think your mom brain kicks in and you start overanalyzing everything and you're just like, you know. A lot of Google searches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh, that, that was a that was a time. But um I I don't regret ever being in a position of protecting myself. In fact, I, I've only regretted things when there've been close calls where I'm like, that guy was really creepy or that girl was creepy or you know like this this is a unsafe situation like I don't know if I like being here those are the times where I'm like man um I don't I don't love I don't love where I'm at right now this is this is kind of um the surroundings aren't aren't good yeah (laughs) Um, and so but I've never regretted having the ability to protect myself and I think that the more individuals understand that and understand that all we're doing when we're carrying firearms is we're not looking to be the hero in any way. And and this was one of the things that I found was a misconception with people who don't agree with us is um, I was at an event and this wife was accompanying her husband and she was very clearly anti-gun and he was very clearly having the best time of his life at this event. And she came up because of there was candy on the table and I was talking to her and I was like, Oh, how are you doing? And and she was like, I just don't understand why every gun owner wants to be the hero. And it caught me so off guard. And I was like, come again. She's like, I just don't understand why every gun owner wants to be the hero. And I was like, of what? And she's like, well, you guys are just always wanting to stop the, the bad guy like oh that's all you think about and I said I'm going to be completely honest with you I've talked to hundreds of thousands of people at this point 
doing this job. I've never heard that be the motivation. <laughs> Not once. I want to be a superhero. No, no one thinks that way. What they do is they go, I want to be able to defend myself and my family if, God forbid, the worst case scenario happened. Exactly. And we're not looking for a fight. We're not out there being like, you know, today's the day. No one thinks that way. And and I think that the more that we kind of see what they're being told and what they believe, the better our education becomes to ensure them like, no, 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 that, that's not it. I'm carrying a firearm because I'm a five foot female. And if the wind blows really hard with as clumsy as I am, there's not like a, a huge chance that I'm not, you know, going to like trip and fall over myself. Like that's just me as a person. Right. But um, it, it's knowing that, hey, you know what? My life has value and there are bad people in the world. And if it's me versus them, I want to know that I'm coming out of the situation. I, I got a question for the both of you. Um, as mothers, because I'm never going to experience that. Uh, did because you're you may be around the kiddo more than uh, than most people. Um, has your thought process of changing your firearm ever came to mind? Like going, hey, I need something with maybe a little bit heavier trigger, or I need something with something different. Did, has that ever crossed your mind, or is that something you have to think of and consider? Safety is what you consider. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's ensuring that there is a, you know, I don't really like that question. I, I'm gonna, yeah. And the, the reason that I don't like that question is because my kids won. Yeah. So. So the, it, it's something that I think would evolve. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like I. I'm thinking, obviously, my kid's not here yet. Yeah. Um, but I know how I was raised, right? And and I also think I was maybe raised in a different world. My my parents didn't lock guns up. It was not something that was foreign to us. Um, I started shooting when I was three years old. But my parents were very specific. Um, I actually didn't even know about Eddie Eagle, but my dad basically taught us Eddie Eagle. I just thought of something my dad made up. <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> But he applied that to like every anything that's dangerous. Like if you saw a snake in the yard, stop, don't touch, leave the area, tell an adult. Um, but it was the same way with guns. And and he was so forthcoming with like information. It was never hidden from us. It was never something that was foreign or scary or a mystery. Um, we knew exactly what that was, exactly what it did. And if we see it out, don't touch that because we need to tell dad that it's out. Um, I don't necessarily plan on, you know, just leaving things out for my kid to find. Um but I think just I think just in general, the education of kids is so important so that there isn't you're in charge of the narrative, right? You're in charge of how they learn about guns, how they learn about it. It's not a mystery to them. They're not seeing it in a video game and it's cool and it's a toy. They're being taught from you. This is very important. This can cause harm if it's used wrong and in the wrong place. And I think that's, you know, once once your kids at the age of understanding, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're both kind of in the point where they're a little too young for any kind of, yeah, but it is something, um, but it is something that you start with the conversation and maybe it's because of my line of work, maybe because it's the fact that we live on a farm, but 
like guns are just so much a part of everyday life that it's a regular dinner conversation and it's a it's a regular um it's a it's a regular part of our lives so it's not like I'm trying to um education will come naturally because it's something that's always kind of in in the conversation you're not having to like create a whole program to where you're like well this is I need to introduce this because you know this is something that they're they're never going to hear about outside of outside of this like educational moment it's going to be part of the conversation uh, the reason I brought that up is we talked to Amy Langdon and she kind of told her story about how her son couldn't rack or, or pull the trigger and I wanted to pick your guys' brain on that um I know that when I taught youth how to shoot, you know, and when I was teaching classes, the big thing I would tell people is like, hey, kids are naturally naturally curious. They're going to want to know. So if you tell them don't do something, never tell a kid don't do anything. Because the minute they hear don't, it's go do it. Because that's what I want to do. Because they told me not to. Um, and, I, you know, kids are curious. And I didn't know if you guys, I wanted to see, like, if you had any advice to, you know, soon to be parents or as a parent, you know, what, what's the right age? I mean, you said you were a three. I was about the same age when I started learning about gun safety. You know, it was always the same thing. Like, Hey, don't touch kind of adult. You learn these things. And, you know, we, we have a community here and there's a, a lot of new gun owners um, out there and to pass on the, the words of wisdom of kind of like, hey, this is what you need to do to teach your kids. This is how this is a conversation that needs to be had. And the shooting sports are fun, but you it can also be dangerous. And to kind of talk through it with them and kind of have that conversation uh, at an early age uh, and kind of get that curiosity out of, the, out of there. I just didn't know if you guys had any wisdom you'd want to pass along to the millions of new gun owners um, out there and kind of teach them, you know, hey, you know, there's a there's a way of, there's a process of doing this and there's a process of making, you know, things safe. This is terrible, but the whole time you were talking, my, my brain went down the rabbit hole of how we need a Dr. Seuss book. And that's like, yes. it's fun to have guns, but you have to know how. Yes. I'd you like know what? Kaylee, good idea. Kaylee, you were writing <laughs> that, a book. Put that, put that down. New, uh, that down the yes, perfect. I so, like it. Now that I, I shifted that conversation completely, sorry, it was great. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. Um, I really did wanted to pick you, your guys' brain on this because it it is a topic. I mean, we saw the Biden administration go after uh, shooting education and, and gun safety in schools. I, I just wanted to pick your brains. You know, going hey, as as soon to be parent and parent, you know. Uh, where if there's any tools out there that you would recommend to people and things like that. So here's what I'll I'll say. Um, as a parent, it's your personal responsibility to figure out the best way to educate your child on any topic. Um, not just firearm safety, but you know, you decide what comes into your home, you decide how you frame every conversation. Um you kind of judge the situation. You know, if you're listening to this and your your kid's older and, you know, maybe they don't love listening to you, 
maybe the the best thing to do is take them to an instructor and and kind of let them explain everything from a, an outside source. If they hang on to your every word, maybe you start the conversation and, and that comes later. Um, but I think the more that you talk about it, the more that, you know, you're listening to, to the questions that they have as much as you are giving them the information. I think those are, are valuable tools that you as a parent, you know your kid better than any anything anyone else. And you're going to have an intuition on how to speak to them about dangerous and scary things. And unfortunately, you probably have to do that more than just about firearms in, in today's society. And so um, I think that knowing where your kid is at, where they are mentally, where they are developmentally, and and just the, the best thing to do is just to start having the conversation and and figure it out from there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not quite a um, uh, a Dr. Seuss style book for the Second <laughs> Amendment, but um, one of the best gifts that I was given uh, was actually by my mother-in-law, and it is like the ABCs for the Constitution, and it has like a whole little section on the Second Amendment, and uh, you know that's that, awesome. You know he uh, he's he may be he may be tiny, but he's he's already started his educational journey. <laughs> but that's so important. Yes, I agree. at every age, like any age. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of Americans that don't know anything in our Constitution. <laughs> Unfortunately, maybe, maybe yeah. everyone needs the ABCs to the Constitution. I, I think so. I like I'm, it. I mean, being ninety. 90s kid like I remember not having to worry as much mm. as a kid like we used to ride our bikes everywhere we could dri- ride our bike up to the convenience store now it's like yeah you can't do that <clears throat> you can't and it's it's sad but you know I we didn't have cell roll. phones you just yeah. kind of disappeared for we the day oh, yeah. it was <laughs> like it was like uh get out of the house uh don't come back until the street lights are on exactly and that's dinner time and then you can go back out until the lights the, the house lights start turning off. You need to get home. And I remember we played until we would run around the neighborhood until at least 10, 11. We were right? always outside. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Always Climbing outside, trees in stuff. a creek, <laughs> doing stuff we probably shouldn't do, <laughs> like r- crawl under the uh, culverts and stuff under yes. the roads. <laughs> yeah. Going and building tree forts out of things. I remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we set booby traps in my backyard when I was growing up for my cousins. <laughs> Cousins, if you listen to this, sorry. You never came to visit, though, so you're lucky. But we used to dig booby traps and, like, put rocks and pine cones in them <laughs> and think, like, oh, if they come here, they they never wore shoes growing up, so they're going to fall on this and get... <laughs> we were Apparently, we were mean. We used to do... Uh, we, it's funny, because it's kind of maybe have gotten into my Second Amendment journey, but we used to make bows as kids. Mm. We would make our own homemade bows and, like, tr- test them out out of sticks that we found in the woods. Oh, we... Uh, <laughs> the the neighborhood kids so I have brothers and then all of the kids in our neighborhood were boys so I just kind of grew up like very male dominated world um and we used to pick up like 
sticks out of the the woods and like those were firearms and we would have like entire like war reenactments oh yeah like that spanned like three or four houses across sometimes um, nature makes the perfect gun out of like a, a stick yeah like, i have two in my garage right now that look identical and i'm like i can't throw these away or burn them like i have to keep these because yes. they're very cool it's it's sad that and i don't think we've ever talked about this on the this podcast but it's sad that when we were kids growing up, even in school, you know, you'd grab a stick and you'd play wars or cops and robbers. And there was just a kindergartner a couple months ago who got, in Alabama, sus- in Alabama yeah. who got suspended from school for playing with a stick gun. Oh, it goes so far beyond that. And and GOA um, has... Uh, we, um, we've been monitoring it. We've been... Um, what is it called when you don't file legal action, but you threaten legal action? I'm looking for a word. Threatening. I don't know. I wish it's, I could it's help not you. not threatening. <laughs> there, there's a word for it. Okay. I'm just going to kind of rephrase this. But, yeah. So, GOA has been working alongside. There's a, a whole story about it on our um, on our website. And then um, also, if you shout out to our sister organization, Gun Owners Foundation, their show... Uh, shots fired kind of did a a bigger deep dive in it but what's awful is not only was this child suspended for playing cops and robbers um, with finger guns on the playground but they have put in his um, permanent record that he's potentially dangerous oh my gosh and so when you're looking at a world and this is Alabama that we're talking about. Like, this is not some crazy, like, New York or California or New Jersey kind of thing. This is Alabama, for crying out loud. And, you know, if you look at a world where you have red flag laws that are gun confiscation orders f- with no due process, and you have a school district wanting to label someone as potentially dangerous starting at six years old... I mean, this has substantial ramifications. And to be completely honest, that school board and everyone involved in that should have significant ramifications when it comes to election, when it comes to, um, you know, the, the policies that they're putting forward. Because, like, the world has gone insane when it comes to even the, the the thought police to the point where you can't play at recess. You, well, you can't anymore. I actually have a story on this, right? So my brother, back to the 90s, uh, <laughs> my brother, he's an, technically an 80s baby, but um, kindergarten, same same deal. And kindergarten, they had a project um, that they had to write a story about what they would do if they had a superpower or what they would do for a day if they were invisible. I think it was specifically if you were invisible for a day, what would you do? And my brother thought it was stupid. Um, So he just kind of went down a rabbit hole of like, oh, he'd pick on his sisters. And thanks, Robert. Um, But he went down a rabbit hole of how he would like go and uh, take all the rest of the things that my dad needed for his gun collection, specifically naming. And as a kindergartner, naming like individual rifles and different things. Like, could you imagine if that were today? So my parents did get called about that. And my mom was like, oh, yeah, well, this is my husband's wish list of stuff for his collection he's a collector and uh my my kid obviously thought this assignment was stupid so he's picking on his sisters and then he's 
finishing off my husband's collection because he loves his dad. Yeah. <laughs> but if you were to do that today, I mean, no, you, you're yeah. on all sorts of lists. You're, yeah. I'm, and I think that's why so many parents are choosing to homeschool and choosing to take over education um, because you just look at things and you're like, well, this is crazy. Um, this goes far beyond, you know, common core or, um, you know, not spending time with your children. This is fundamentally how culture is made. And that has substantial ramifications. And I think that's why you're seeing all of these these movements come up and, and you know, to attack a, a six-year-old in such an egregious way. It, it goes beyond the pale. No, I don't disagree. Um, so let's move on to <laughs> another topic. Um, so you focus on testing different types of guns for everything that you do. Um, what is your thought process when you're testing a gun and evaluating it? So... Um Really, I probably could. I probably could do a lot more there. Like, I, I'm not somebody that's gonna take a gun out and just like say it's the best thing ever or just completely bash it. What I want to see is, I wonder what their intention behind like pushing this gun out was, right? So, like, if you look even just in the just concealed carry guns, there are so many different options, right? right. And there is some major hate from some people about different brands because why would you ever want this or? Uh, why would you want a manual safety or why would you need, you know, there's so many different um, areas that you can look at for what you want, even just specifically as like a concealed carry gun. But what I like is options, right? So I, I almost more like to showcase things. Um, so what is this? Why is this here? Why does it have a manual safety and why could that be good for somebody that might not necessarily be comfortable carrying one without it? Um, that's, that's more the line I like to go down is just showcasing. And if something really is garbage, like I'll give you my opinion, but I, I like variety and I like weird stuff too. So <laughs> I, I think you and I are the same on liking weird stuff. Yeah. Um, I've seen some of your posts where you, where you did a gun a day. I did. And you had some of the coolest and weirdest things, and you just broke down the history. And what kind of what was the response from people on that? So that was, I had no idea going into it, like how much people would really enjoy that, but specifically on Facebook, right? So Facebook, there's a share button, and yeah. people could be like, oh, this girl's posting a gun of the day every day. And it, it really was awesome. But what I loved was reading the comments. People would share stories. Um, like I posted a Sears shotgun and they were like, oh, yeah, my granddad had one of these. And I this is the first gun I ever shot. Like I'd get people's stories and how it related back to them. Or on a different note, they'd be like, I've never seen this before. And what I was really trying to accomplish with that was, one, I'd never seen it done before. But two, I wanted to show people that everything's not just like a... a a Glock. Everything's not just a black AR. Like there's so much different stuff. And we went down like history rabbit holes. I, I found um, there's a pawn shop that got this crazy collection close to us. And they called me in and they were like, hey, we just got all these guns if you want to come do some gun of the days. Um, so it really turned into like a community project. And I ended up spending a little bit of money on that collection. <laughs> <laughs> totally unintentionally. But um, they had two Chicago uh, palm protectors. I don't know if you know what those are. I, 
heard of it. I don't. It almost looks like a makeup compact, right? But yeah. it, I think it would be considered like uh, early revolver technology. Um, so little little gun, uh, squeeze the entire gun to pull the trigger to shoot. They had two of them. I've never seen one in person. Um, is that like a lemon squeezer? So is that the other one? I don't know. I don't know what that is, but the Chicago yeah. Palm Protector. I'll show you a picture yeah. when we leave. <laughs> um, anyway, I walked out with both of those because I'd never seen one before. And they're also um, like 1890, 1889, I think. Yeah. So not a gun anymore. <laughs> well, it's funny that a lot of people don't know or don't remember that Sears used to be like one of the largest suppliers of guns in the whole country. Like there right. was a catalog, you could pick out what you want. There was a photo that's been floating around every holiday season of the Sears catalog from the 60s, I want to say, with the family around the Christmas tree, and everybody has a gun in their <laughs> hand. I'm like, I want to do that again, please. <laughs> Let's do that. But, like, people make fun of me because I have weird stuff in my collection that all ended up in a boating accident. Uh, but <laughs> Crazy how that happened in, in all the, at the same time. In the desert, too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, didn't you all get, like, a flood this year? I heard there was a hurricane or something. Yeah, we did get The some, Great Flood. Yeah, <laughs> the Great Flood in Phoenix. Um, but, yeah, we have, like, people make fun of me because I've got, like, especially uh, Mike Mills from Tactical Considerations. He comes up to me and goes, how many Makarovs do you have? I'm like, oh, shut up, Mike. I've got <laughs> I've got two, okay? He goes, well, how many Tokaros do you have? I'm like, I've got two, okay? Like, leave me be. But I collect weird stuff, and people are always like, why do you collect weird stuff? I'm like, because this is our history. Mm-hmm. If you look at, um, let's take Australia, for example. Australia, they had took away all the guns. How much history got destroyed? How many things? Look at the gun buybacks. We see it all the time. There was a, a lady, where was it? It was in, I can't remember the state, but it was some state. She had an STG-44, a Strundevet, oh. original and she turned it in, and the cops were like, uh, you don't want to turn this in. They actually told her that? Yeah. <laughs> no, because they kept, they're like, they, somebody, one of them actually knew what it was. Yeah. And they're like, this belongs in a museum. Like, this is an original... And, and a lot of people don't see, like, it's not just a gun, it's history. Like, I have guns from World War One. I've got guns from World War Two. I've got stuff that some people are like, what? Where did you find that? It's And that's the thing, is, like, we're, by doing these programs and things like that, we're getting rid of not only our history, but world history. And... That's kind of why I got into collecting, because I'm like, I want one of this and one of that, and I want things from World War One, and I want things from World War Two, and I want things from the Cold War, and I want this, and I want machine guns, and hashtag repeal the NFA. So <laughs> I had to get that in somehow. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's. I appreciate you doing that, because there's a lot of cool things that people don't get to see, or you get to see, you, you read it in a magazine, you're seeing a book or in a museum, and they're out there you can buy them if you find them right well you know it's it's kind of amazing to think that we live in a world where there's so much technology at our fingertips but then something like that could happen at a gun buyback like you didn't just happen to look up what you had right (laughs) we have so much information right here it's that's not the the first one i heard i had a buddy who worked at a dunham's and this lady came in her husband died 
he was a World War II vet. And they cleaned out the attic and they found a whippet gun up in the attic, an original BRR whippet gun. And he's like, you need to go take this home and you put it away because if you, we, first off, we can't buy it. Second off, like, this is a piece of American history. Like, if you can trace that back to who originally owned it, it's like, the sky's the limit. That's incredible. That. Yeah. Wow. That's sad. Hmm? It's, it's great. Like, that's the thing. Like, there's so many things. Like, uh, one of my buddies, uh, and I, I'm not going to mention his name. He was uh, tearing down a barn in, I want to say it was Missouri. And under the floorboard, they found uh, a, uh, uh, a Schofield. And on it was a note that said, this belonged to Billy the Kid. Oh, man. And he's like, we're not getting rid of this. No. Like, and that's the thing. There's like, think of the history of things that, that could just disappear yeah. if, they get the, if they get their way. Like, but. No, and then the only way people have to remember any of this by is watching movies. But that's not, like, I like the hands-on stuff. That's why I like going to Knob Creek. Some of those guns I've never seen shot anywhere else but the creek. It's we need. I think we need the hands-on stuff. Yeah. Either that, or even just walking around the pole barn there. I mean, you'd see stuff that you'd never see anywhere else. Yeah, and it's the experience. Exactly. And that's the thing that they can't take away, right? It's it doesn't matter if you're going to a machine gun shoot or you're taking someone to the range for the first time. If you can give them an experience, if they can have a positive relationship with the Second Amendment community, with the firearms, it changes the perspective and it makes us stronger as a community. And that is the the thing that I, I love the most is when there's an event and you see the, the, appreh- the apprehension sometimes. Um, I'll give you an example. So GOA has been sponsoring this event that happens outside of Detroit for, for many, many years. And it is a women's range day. And it has expanded to now it's multiple ranges right outside of Detroit. And you have women who have gone one year and then they bring five friends. And you talk to them before they go into the, the training class for the first time. And they're nervous and, you know, you can tell when someone's really closed off and, you know, this is so anti the culture of that area. And so, you know, they're, you know, maybe you know, hiding from the, the the cameras as, you know, people are taking selfies and all of the, you have like the people who are really excited and the people who are really apprehensive and you can really tell the difference. And something happens once you take them through that couple hours of an experience and they come out. And they are so excited that they did it. They're so excited that they they changed their mindset. And they're like, wow, you know, I can do this. I can participate. And I think that that is the same kind of momentum that is so important when we go to, especially things like machine guns that have become so rare. When we, when we talk about the fact that not everyone can own one, very few people get the chance to shoot these sort of things. When you can give people the experience, it changes from, wow, that is, you know, incredibly dangerous to, 
while I did that and that was super safe and I had a great time and why, why is, why can't I have this? And when you take people through that experience, it changes everything. Absolutely. I think so for me too, I have enjoyed, um, I've had the, the opportunity to go to a ton of industry events, right? There's stuff pretty much every month. But um, something that I wanted to do when we did our All-American shoot was I wanted to make sure it was public. And that, like I said earlier, people actually got hand and hands-on experience. Um, and to me, that is cooler than anything else because while it's cool to be able to go to some industry-only events, I think it's even more special when we can open it up to the public. While it's also, I mean, I know the liability and stuff on that too now after doing an event, but <laughs> it's so important. Because you you watch a kid get to shoot a gun for the first time or you watch somebody pull a trigger on a machine gun for the first time. And while I will say yes at every opportunity I get to shoot one, it's almost more special to watch somebody else get to do it the first time. Yeah, I agree. So it's Yeah. Well, since you said the Detroit event, we've got an event coming up in March. March 8th, International Women's Day at the Range in Dallas, Texas. So... That is coming up here. Put it on your calendar. Yes, uh, open that's my to the plug. Yes, it's going to be open to the public. We're going to have uh, hopefully a, a lot of women come out, and um, it's going to be a great day. We're excited. We're it's it's one of those things where um, we're changing the conversation because everyone wants to talk about. Um, on especially on International Women's Day, let's call it International Women's Range Day. That'd be awesome, and that's our event. But that's not the name of the day. Uh, International Women's Day. You know, we're always talking about you know women, you know, are are powerful, and you know all of these things. But we never give the ability to say, okay, yes, you are powerful, but you are also able to defend yourself in a powerful way. And how the disconnect has happened in our society where those things aren't just understood is crazy to me. I think it, um, it, it is something that we need to change. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see um, everyone come out to the range. I'm both excited that y'all are doing this, but also bummed because I'm going to have a baby like one week before that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to be able to make that one. It is all good. We'll get you on the next I'll be year. There. I'll be there the next year. <laughs> well. We've been over an hour now. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up uh, things. That was a fast we need hour. a part two. Fast hour. Yeah. We do we need a part two. Come, I got more stuff to ramble yeah. about. <laughs> Definitely uh, part two with Rachel coming soon yes. to a theater near you. Um, wow, that was a great, <laughs> weird. I can't wait to see the movie poster. Yeah. <laughs> we actually took a dope Charlie Angels picture before this. That. That's the yes, movie poster. That's the movie poster. I love it. <laughs> um, so, Rachel, where can people find you, and what's the next cool thing you're going to be at? People want to say hi. Okay, so um, find me at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, I mean X, whatever it's called now, <laughs> um, TikTok, all of that's Rapid Fire Rachel, or Instagram, it's Rachel B 333 uh, probably have to spell that all the way out, because... <laughs> You know how shadow bands and things work these days. Yes. <laughs> but, um, the next cool thing I'm going to be at. So I'm actually going from uh, recording this podcast to CanCon. I don't know when this will be posted, but that'll be the next and probably the last thing I'll be at for the year um, and potentially before I give birth. So 
I'll miss SHOT Show this year. Oh, we'll miss you there. Nothing sounds good about being 36 weeks pregnant in Vegas, though. I, <laughs> no. Yeah, she's, she <laughs> went through it. Uh, don't blame you. Um, cool. There. Well, Rachel, thank you again. We appreciate you being on. Yeah, no, uh, thank you for having me on. This was this was a fun podcast to be on. So part two coming soon. Yeah, to part a two. Or tease it. I'm lobbying part- now. Yes. <laughs> I love it. We'll do it. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Check you later. <laughs>